On today's show, we're into the 1940s, and with many players rushing to help out and join the war effort, some teams struggle to cope. The VFL introduced an interesting idea to help raise money for the soldiers. Essendon have a new nickname, a new coach, and a new game plan. Look for them to be on the up and up after years in the doldrums. Melbourne go from strength to strength, to strength but also gain an unwanted record. The race for the top four heats up in the last few rounds and Collingwood struggle without Ron Todd and seem to be in free fall. But there is more controversy to come for them. All that and more after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Yes, welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast. Uh, it is just the two of us. It is Moz and I today. Just the two of us. You and I. <laughs> um, Charlie will be popping in. You'll hear his voice, but he's not going to be here live today. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. add some stuff post. And Kaz will be here later, he promises us. But at the moment, it's just you and I, Moz. Yeah, just the two. Delightful. Yeah. Um, lots to talk about. We're on, the, we're on the cusp of the 2020 season, if, uh, in theory, if that goes ahead. Yes, Which we're hoping it we does. definitely hope it does. With um, crowds. But can you believe we're in the 1940s already? It's quite unbelievable. And where does time go? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I've only been here for 10-ish seasons, but even that, they have zoomed by. Yeah, yeah most, all the 30s? All the 30s? Yeah. And a couple of guest appearances before that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, a few things before we get started. Um, hello to our listeners in Finland. Chile mm-hmm. and Hong Kong. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Very we, nice. Uh, we thank you for listening to us. Um, let's get to some history. I'm sure Charlie's going to pop up with some of this. <laughs> but the hit song was Glenn Miller in the mood. I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the disappointment on his face. <laughs> you, you know it. I'm in gonna, the mood. I'm going to play it for you. Is it a swingy kind of yep. song? Ready? We're in that you, era. You okay. Listening, I hope I don't disappoint again. Oh, this is in the parent trap. Yeah, great song. <laughs> yes, good. All right, let's play that over the top of the of uh, Charlie's history. Um, also, another song that year was "When You Wish Upon a Star." Oh, beautiful! Yeah. I do know that one. The parent trap. The, <laughs> the original. I'm a millennial. Uh, unsure. The remake with the Lindsay remake with Lindsay. Yeah, the remake, not the mm-hmm. original. No. Good. All right, let's uh, hear from Charlie. So 1940? So 1940. Here we go. All right. Um, so, Timmy, as usual, interesting year, 1940, as, we, mm. as we've been saying. Uh, look, you know, as we've said before, we'll, we'll do a lot more detail, but so much happened in 1940 that we've got to mention a few things. Yep. Uh, but uh, we'll just we'll try and keep it brief so we can go into more detail at a later date. Yeah, perfect. So, starting uh, with the 4th of January, um, to do with World War II, the Colonel Hermann Goering for the Luftwaffe uh, assumed control of most of the war industries in German. Yep. Um, on the 8th of January, food rationing in the UK began and it would remain in force until 1954, so 14 years of food rationing. Josh, Maybe, that, um, sounds, that sounds familiar. 
So yeah, doesn't it? Maybe um, we'll be rationing toilet paper until 2034. That'll be interesting. <laughs> um, on the 19th of January, in a bit of a lighter mood, the Three Stooges uh, comedy film You Nasty Spy was released. Uh, it was the first of the Hollywood parodies of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, and Mo played uh, Mo Hailstone as the lead character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, classic, right? I haven't actually seen it. I might have to watch yeah. it. Yeah, me either. Yeah. Um, on the 26th of January, Australia Day, Brisbane uh, sweltered through its hottest day ever, 43.2 degrees Celsius. Um, yeah, warm. To that, point, to that point, obviously. To that point, yes. Um, on the 7th of Feb, Pinocchio was first shown in the United States, the animated musical. Yes. There you go. On the 22nd of February in Tibet, Four-year-old Tenzin Gyatso was proclaimed the Tulku, or the rebirth, of the 13th Dalai Lama. <laughs> there you go. Um, on the 27th of February, Martin Carmen and Sam Rubin discovered carbon-14, which is a carbon isotope, isotope which allowed for the uh, beginning of carbon dating, so how we actually tell how old things are. Uh, okay. Wouldn't have been able to be possible without that. A big step. Yeah, and the oh, two days after, it was a leap year, Feb, uh, 1940. On the 29th of February, uh, Hattie McDaniel became the first African-American to win an Academy Award. So that's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the 12th of March, um, the Soviet Union and Finland signed a peace treaty in Moscow, ending the Winter War. Um, Finns, along with the general world, were shocked by the harsh terms of the peace treaty. Um, on the 18th of March, Hitler, Mussolini and Mussolini met at Brenner Pass in the Alps and after being informed by Hitler that the Germans were ready to attack in the West, Mussolini agreed to bring Italy into the war. Um, just after this, on April 9th, Germany invaded Denmark and Norway. Um, the British Navy attempted to attack elements of the German fleet off Norway and um, the German invasion lasted for about six hours before, of Denmark lasted for about six hours before the country capitulated. Six so, hours, wow. Yeah, it wasn't a long time. Uh, after that, the Faroe Islands were occupied by British troops uh, to avert possible German occupation of the islands, um, which, you know, was about the Battle of the Atlantic, so trying to stop that, or them taking over the entire area. Mm -hmm. um, and the next day, in totally different news, the Rangers won the 1940 Stanley Cup Finals, the New York Rangers. Yep. Uh, it would be their first, their last win for 54 years. They won again in 1994. Well, that's a drought. That is a serious drought. Um, on the 10th of May, uh, lots happened to do with World War II. The Battle of France begun. German forces invaded the Low Countries, the Battle of Netherlands began, the Battle of Belgium began, and the invasion of Luxembourg began, and the British invasion of Iceland began. And on that same day, uh, Neville Chamberlain resigned as Prime Minister of the UK and Winston Churchill became Prime Minister. Uh -huh. um, and... Two days after that, Winston Churchill address, made his first address as Prime Minister, which is that famous speech that said, I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears and sweat. Yep. 
It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, on on the 15th of May, the very first McDonald's restaurant opened in San during, Bernardino, California. During the war. I didn't know that. During, yeah, no, there you go. Neither did I. But they, they weren't fighting in the war, so they had things going on. Exactly. They sort of, it was kind of happening overseas for them, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, on, on the 20th of May, um, so yeah, McDonald's was sandwiched between a couple of very terrible times. The 20th <laughs> of May, um, uh, Auschwitz opened. Oh. Um, yes, not ideal. And clo- and then they closed it in 1945 or they, they found it and, and overran it in 1945. Uh, on the 26th of May, the Dunkirk evacuation began and that lasted until the 4th of June. They managed to get a complete the evacuation of around 300,000 troops from Dunkirk when they thought they were only going to be able to get rid of about, get about 20,000 out. So it was a yeah. huge success. I've, I've got to watch that movie. Yeah, it, it's an amazing story. It's great. Mm. Um, on the same day, uh, Winston Churchill made the fame, another famous speech uh, where, where he said, you know, we shall fight on the beaches, on the landing grounds, in the fields and in the streets. We shall never yep. surrender. Mm. Um, on the 6th of July, Story Bridge opened in Brisbane. And on the 15th of July, the Democratic Party in the United States nominated Franklin Delano Roosevelt for an unprecedented third term as president. Which obviously wasn't against the rules at that stage. No, they well, must have changed yeah. it after that. Well, yeah. they changed it because of him. Oh, is that, that right? Their, there you go. That was, that was their way of honouring what he did for them. They uh, they changed that rule, so no one could serve Same. longer than him. No one, no one could serve longer. I like that. Okay, there you go. Um, on the twenty fourth of August, in some more science news, um, Howard Florey and his team uh, published their findings um, about pe- about penicillin. And they purified the drug. So the beginning of our first uh, antibiotic there. Mm. Um, On the 6th of September, a prison ship docked in Sydney from Britain carrying refugees and prisoners of war considered to be a danger to British security. So they were interned in Hay and uh, Tatura. So sending sending, uh, convicts to Australia again? Yeah, exactly. Just doing it all over. (laughs) Um, on the 21st of September, uh, Robert Menzies was re-elected in a minority government who nar- narrowly defeated uh, John Curtin's Labor Party. There's yep. the last federal election to result in a minority government until 2010. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, on the 15th of October, Charlie Chaplin released The Great Dictator, um, which was Again, his I take. Have, I, have, on- I haven't seen that either. No, neither. So there's a few that we need to check out. Um, yeah, so his take on on that. On the 26th of October, double-decker buses replaced the very last cable trams in Melbourne. Now, I read that and I had, I had to do some work because so I was like, don't we still have them? But if you, if you have a look online, um, they're very different to what we know as the current tram system. Um, they're sure. kind of like, um, I don't think they're on rails. They're just like... They drive underneath a cable. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yep, yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the beginning of November, Old Rowley won the Melbourne Cup. Uh, on the 13th of November, Fantasia was released. Yep, good movie. And it was, a, it was a box office failure. 
yeah, and it have recouped it? its costs. Yeah, I have. It's so weird. It, yeah, re- it recouped its costs later in the year and became, well, has become one of the high, most highly regarded Disney films of all time. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? No, I just, it's, I don't mind it. I watched it recently again for the first time in a long time and I quite enjoyed it. No, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and on the 8th of December, the Chicago Bears are in the most one-sided victory in NFL history defeated the Redskins 73 to zero in the 1940 <laughs> NFL championship game. Oh, 73 zip. Yeah. Uh, who did they beat so far? Who did they beat? The Redskins. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so a few people were born in uh, no, 1940 okay. as well, Timmy. Good, good to know the population kept ticking over while the war was happening. Yeah. Absolutely. People kept doing their thing. Uh, a few of them were uh, on the 21st of January, Jack Nicholas, the golfer. Yep. On the, the day after, on the 22nd, John, John Hurst, the actor. Same, same hospital? Fe- I don't think so. One's American, one's <laughs> English, so I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> on the 19th of Feb, um, Smokey Robinson, the musician. Yep. Uh, on the 27th of February, Bill Hunter, the Australian actor. And March 10th, uh, Chuck Norris, oh. the great man, was born. Yes. Um, <laughs> on the 26th of March, Nancy Pelosi, who's the current Speaker of the House, yeah. who, uh, you know, tried to impeach Trump, uh, was born. On the 25th of April, we had Al Pacino. Hmm. On the 13th of July, Sir Patrick Stewart or um, Captain Picard, as most yes, people would or, know him. Or Professor Xavier from uh, X-Men. Yeah, Professor Xavier, absolutely. On uh, the 16th of August, Bruce Beresford, uh, Beresford sorry, the Australian film director who uh, directed films like Breaker Morant. Yep. And the 31st of August, Jack Thompson, the Australian actor. So we've got basically... Names. Yeah, I was going to say, the entire Australian uh, Film Academy is born in the one year. Uh, on the 23rd of October, Pele, the Brazilian footballer. Yeah. On the 27th of November, Bruce Lee, the uh, martial artist and actor, who died in 1973. Yes. And on the 1st of December, Richard Pryor, the stand-up comedian and actor. Yes. The actor. Yeah. So there <laughs> you have it. A few big names there. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was 1940. All right, let's get to some league news, Moz. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Please. Lots happening around the league at the moment. Um, as always, the league are tampering with the rules. <laughs> which um, we like. Yes, they have halted the rules, which allow players to be reported for throwing the ball away after a free kick. Ah. Or, or interfering with a player in similar circumstances. So I guess we call that time-wasting strategy now. Yes, and in- interesting you're saying that because I'm going to talk about that a bit later on. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Um, players were not allowed to kick the ball in after a behind until the goal umpire signalled the point. Okay. And I really remember that rule growing up and playing and being like really strictly taught, mm-hmm. you've got to wait for the goal umpire. Mm-hmm. And so when the AFL changed that rule, and I think it was about 2007 or eight, mm. I found it really hard to cope with because <laughs> the rule was always you've got to wait until the goal umpire kicked waves his flags and then you kick out mm-hmm. and from now you can yeah, just get free it and run throw. Yep, mm-hmm. you get it and run um, sorry. Um, the ring in the centre of the ground was enlarged 
So it went from 2.4 metres to 3, three metres, hmm. like the centre circle. Yeah, why? Um, I'm guessing to give Ruckman more space. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, apart from those three, there were no serious alterations to the laws of the game. Um, despite the additional reporting options on offer, not a single... Oh, I'll edit that bit out. <laughs> um, in this game also... Uh, sorry, in this season we've got a... There was supposed to be a carnival, mm-hmm. a state carnival, where all the team, all the state teams play. Um, but the Australasian National Football Council decided against this because of war. It was supposed to be held in Hobart. Right, yes. Um, and this was also one of the most rugged seasons in history with 47 players reported to the VFL Tribunal. Whoa, they went nuts. Yeah. Most, For ball throwing? Uh, a whole range of things, I'm, I'm guessing. Mm. Mm. Uh, VFL decided what, uh, tried to do what they could for the war effort. So one penny per club membership ticket and 5% of each match profit was given to the war effort. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was about all the, the league news I had. Yeah, good stuff, Timmy. All right. Now, Charlie, just before we get to the teams and the season proper, I want to talk a little bit about the Patriotic Cup. I like the name of it. Um, this was an attempt by the league to generate some money for the war. Yes. Um, also, it, w- it came in place of an interstate carnival that was yeah, supposed that to happen. Yeah, that had been cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, so quite a few different state leagues did this, apparently. South Australia did a similar thing, as did uh, Western Australia. Yeah. Um, so it was raising money for the Comfort Fund, which provided comfort, entertainment, and basic luxuries to soldiers serving in the armed forces. I like it. I um, like it. Matches were all on one day. They went for 20 minutes. A tie would result in the match restarting in the next team's score to be declared the winner. So like golden goal. Yeah. Which is ridiculous, but that's a different conversation. The way it was. Um, and the team, the best teams all had to play to start with. You'll see, because obviously 12 doesn't go into like a proper bracket. No. So they gave four teams a bit of a rest to start with, to and start you'll with. see that those teams, North Melbourne, South Melbourne, St Kilda and Hawthorne, were the four lowest placed teams. Ah, and yeah, a few of them made it through, didn't they? So yeah. They did. Um, official crowd of the day was 30,407, which was higher than most home and away matches this year. Um, only the finals had more people. So they, And they were saying that um, uh, they, they had a few different ideas for how they might run this. Okay. Um, the, the, it wasn't the knockout car- carnival wasn't apparently the only option. It doesn't go into too much detail, but some of the other options must have included um, running it over a few different grounds and doing it in different spots because oh, yeah. it does say here teams decided that they didn't want to travel to the country and yeah. that using one ground would be simpler than getting agreement with staff and management at multiple grounds. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, so they were trying to um, do it. Yeah, yeah as, as easily and as smoothly as possible. Mm. So how do you want to go? Th- do you want to go through game by game? Uh, well, let's... Yeah, very quickly. I think yeah. that's a good way to do it because yeah. otherwise how would we know? So as, as Timmy, you said that a few, few teams missed out on the first round. They were the lowest placed teams being North, South, uh, Hawthorne and St Kilda. Yeah. Uh, so in the first round, we had Richmond versus Melbourne. Yeah, and Melbourne only scoring a point. A single point to Richmond's 5-5, sending them through to play the winner of Collingwood and Footscray. The winner being Footscray winner by, being 10 Footscray by 10 points. By 10 points. So that... And then on the other side of the bracket, we had Fitzroy playing Essendon. Uh, Fitzroy managed to win that by 
just over a goal, 4-2 to 3-1. And on the other side, you had Geelong, who couldn't score a goal, four points going down to Carlton, two goals, three at 15. 15. Yes, so that taking us through to round two. North Melbourne played South Melbourne. North Melbourne ran out easy victors there by 10 points. In what must have been a, a crap game, Richmond yeah. beat Footscray, one goal, two to one goal. Yeah, terrible. And then on the other side, Hawthorne and St Kilda in their first games, uh, St Kilda won by a goal, 2-2 two, two to 3-2. And then Fitzroy going down to Carlton by, what's that, 13 points. Yeah, 8-21. to 21. To, uh, the, I guess, pre- we call them preliminary finals, yeah. but here it says semi-finals. Yeah, so uh, then that means North Melbourne were playing Richmond. Richmond very accurate yeah. in front of goal, five goals, none, 30 to North Melbourne's 2-2-14. Two, two, On the other side, you've got uh, the Saints pipping Carlton by a single, a single point. point. One-four one, to one-three. Setting up St Kilda, another grand final. We know they're coming off, you know, all those lakeside pennants. Yeah, geez, they're good at the ones that mean nothing, aren't they? <laughs> and you know what? They got it. They got the chocolates. And they, they killed it. Four goals, two, 26 to Richmond. Two points. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Ah, oh, Saints have got a flag. Yeah, well, the patriotic done well. cup. Um, so they raised a bit. They, they raised a fair bit of cash by doing this. The other leagues also did. Um, as, as a bit of the research I did said that um, the South Australian version of the Lightning Carnival raised over a thousand pounds. Nice. So, just a good way to you know keep morale up. And St Kilda to fill their trophy cabinet. Yes, good on them because they're not. Yeah, it's pretty they don't have much in there. Um, so let's now get to the season proper. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, Moz, you can uh, go from the bottom of the ladder to the top. Yeah, I would love to. Um, poor old North Smelburn came twelfth <laughs> this year. Oh dear, they had fourteen losses, four wins, and finished on a percentage of seventy-five point one. Oh, poor old she North. <laughs> Um, we'll get Charlie to put in his uh, captain and coaches here. So North Melbourne this year, captain coach in the beginning by Len Thomas and then after that by uh, Jimmy Adamson. Uh, their lo- lead goal kicker was Sel Murray with 58 for the third year in a row. Um, so, Moz, 15 shinboners enlisted in the army and left the club for higher duties <sighs> in, in that first year. So they, I'm missing out on 40... Uh, Missing out on 15 players, so lots of people leaving to fight in the war, which is, mm-hmm. is great, yep. but leaves the club a bit high and dry. Um, new recruits include Jock McCorkill. That's a good name. Yeah, Jock McCorkill. We've had a Jock McHale or something, well, haven't we? Yeah, I think he coaches Collingwood. Very similar. <laughs> lots of Jocks back in the there is. 30s and 40s. Yeah. Um, all right, so round two, North Melbourne had their first win with a strong 55-point win at home over Fitzroy. With Sid Dyer, no relation to Jack, kicking mm-hmm. five, and Len Thomas four. Uh, North Melbourne then defeated Collingwood in round four for only the second time in league history. Ooh. Their six goal five opening quarter being the difference, as well as Sel Murray's eight goals. Mm-hmm. In round eight, following North Melbourne's 35 point loss to South Melbourne, captain coach Len Thomas retired due to service duties. So he went to. He went as well. Go and serve. Um, in his place, Jim Adamson and Wally Carter stepped in to lead the team. North won just two more games for the season which included a four-point win over Carlton and a seven-point defeat of Hawthorne. Um, but then again, finishing an all-too-familiar position, which was last. Yeah. Sal Murray being a highlight with 58 goals. Um, and we talked about Jim Adamson, who took over from Len Thomas. He also won North Melbourne Sid Barker medal, mm-hmm. uh, which is their best and fairest medal, at the age of 35. 
Wow. Becoming the second oldest best and fairest winner from any club in world history. <laughs> Good on him. 35. 35. And not because 15 people weren't playing. No. No. Hey, you'd still celebrate that. Oh, celebrate everything, of course. All right. 11th on the ladder, St Kilda. The Lightning Premiers <laughs> of the year. St Kilda finished 11th with 13 losses, 5 wins and a percentage of 86.8. So after the highs of finals last year, down to second last. Mm. And they made a prelim. They were, you know, not far off a grand final if they'd gotten over to run towards goals in the grand final. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie, tell us about the captains and coaches. The Saints this year, captained by Stan Lloyd, coached by Ansel Clark. Their lead goal kicker was Billy Moore with 25. And that is the last year that Billy Moore is their lead goal kicker. And the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th in a row. 12 years as the lead goal kicker of St Kilda. But I guess if you're winning at kicking 25, it might not have been that hard in the end. All right, so Dave McNamara retired as president to spend more time training horses. And a man by the name of E.C. Mitty took over. Hmm. Um, there were widespread rumours around the club at this time that the club would not be able to play, pay its players. Mm. Um, Mitty denied these, and I'm not sure what the follow-up was, but they, they saw out the season, so mm-hmm. it wasn't too much of an issue. Uh, round one, they had a first-up loss, but this was followed by many three good wins, actually. Uh, but round two, despite a seven-goal win over Hawthorne, Ansel Clark, their captain coach, retired as a player. saying this I feel I could go on this season but after watching the form of many promising young players on our list I consider that it will be in the best interest of the club to direct all my energies to coaching these boys a gentleman yeah and it's something you quite often see well definitely the handing (laughs) something you quite often see is um, leadership being handed over to younger players or Mm -hmm. even last year when Sean Griggs stood down because he couldn't give any service to the club to make yep. way for younger players. Mm-hmm. Um, like so this that. is something that still happens. Mm. Selfless thing. Um, they had a player named Keith Miller who came across from Brighton and played in the first three games. That's, he's not a cricketer, is he? I think he might be. Yeah. I feel like Keith Miller is a cricketer because my grandma has always had a huge crush on him. <laughs> it's, a, it's gone down in family history. I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, he is. He's like an Australian cricketer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your grandma's name? Anne Morris. Anne Morris. Hi, Anne Morris. Keith's for you. Yeah. Um, he came across from Brighton. He played his first game in round three, sorry, not the first three, which was a win over North Melbourne. They made it three on the trot with a good four-goal win over North Melbourne in round four. Um, this was then followed by seven losses in a row. Ooh. With the Saints falling down to ninth on the ladder. Um, they finally broke their duck in round 12 with a comeback 11-point win over Fitzroy. A win over North was then to follow, but four losses ended a disappointing season. Uh, Bill Moore, a renowned goal kicker, only kicked 25 this season in the 10 goals he played. Oh. So really disappointing for St Kilda after mm-hmm. the highs of last year mm-hmm. to this year. Yeah, a fall from grace. Mm. Poor old Saints. And the Bloods this year came in 10th, finishing with seven wins, 11 losses, and a percentage of 87.3. Mm. Yes. So go for it, Charlie. South Melbourne. Captain coach by Herbie Matthews, their best and fairest Herbie Matthews, lead goal kicker Len Rifle with 33. Uh, so Bob Pratt left South Melbourne at the start of this year and mm. crossed to Coburg to the VFA, defecting right. without a clearance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and following round one, Austin Robertson, who was also a, a South Melbourne champion, moved to Port Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So some more more crossing over of the uh, the leagues happening. Mm-hmm. Round one, South lost to, to Collingwood, although the media reported that South have definitely improved since last season and the Magpies were fortunate to win. Mm. Round four was the first win for the Swans in the season, which was a, in a game against Hawthorne in what the media described as a delightful game. Aww. <laughs> Love the media back South's then. magnificent third quarter with nine goals, high marking and clever moves completely overwhelmed their opponents and mm-hmm. clinched the game, which was won by 39 points. Very nice. Round six, South were able to defeat North Melbourne by one point at Lakeside Oval, coming back from 31 points at three-quarter time with a six-goal three to one-goal final quarter. In that game, former Demon Lou Rifle kicked four, Ian Chin and Kevin O'Halloran three each. <laughs> Round eight, finally South Melbourne beat St Kilda in by five points in the Lakeside Premiership <laughs> um, their first win so we're at uh, the current tally is 4-1 St Kilda okay so there's a bit of, bit of ground South have got to make up mm-hmm. but they're on the, they're on the board they're now they're on the board finally um, look South had improved this season winning four of their last six games and overall it was a better season for them they're moving slowly back up the ladder mm-hmm. I think two seasons in a row of finishing last um, aren't great no but so they're... they're moving up um, round 13 was a strong win over Carlton and then they had a two-point win over Essendon. They also had a four-point win over Geelong and a very strong final win of the season against North. So finishing on a high, well, actually, they finished with a loss, but beating some strong teams towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Building a foundation, Moz. Beautiful, optimistic. Mm. Like it, Tim. Um, Hawthorne finished on the same number of wins and losses as South with seven wins, 11 losses, and they only got above by 0.3%. The Mayblooms. 88%. The old Mayblooms. Yes. Charlie. So Hawthorne, captain coached by Bert Mills. Their lead goal kicker was Albie Naismith with 25. New recruits. Here's some more good names for us. Dudley Bragg and Harry Dolphin. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) The Bragg and Dolphin. Yeah. Bragg and Dolphin. Uh, a great start to the season, actually. Round one, they had a big 72-point win over North Melbourne. Ooh. A nine-goal second quarter really opening, opening the game right up. Vin Doherty in his first game with the club since crossing from Collingwood kicked seven goals. And Roba Elby Morrison kicked ten, the first uh, first Hawthorne player to ever kick double figures. Nice. And for the first time in history, Hawthorne sat on top of the ladder. Oh, I mean, May blooming. Mm, they have bloomed. Um <laughs> This would then follow be followed by four losses, and they'd be knocked off their perch. Momentarily on top. bloomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, round six in a poor scrambling game, Melbourne took Hawthorne lightly, and by the time Melbourne realised they had a decent fight on their hands, it was too late. Oh. Hawthorne's tactics of negating their opponent's aerial advantage proved correct in the wind on the smaller ground, and the Mayblooms defeated the reigning premiers Melbourne by six points. <laughs> and Melbourne seemed to struggle when they play Hawthorne at Glenferry. Mm. This is something we've seen before, mm. and still too. Um, another big win was their seven-point win over Carlton. Despite only kicking two goals in the last quarter and withstanding a furious Carlton comeback, this was only their second-ever win over Carlton following the breakthrough of the season earlier in which Robert Menzies went to that game. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Hawthorne won four of its last six games to end the season on a strong note with wins over St Kilda, Richmond, South and Fitzroy. Nice. Ending strong, just like the Bloods. Mm. Cool. Um, Collingwood finished eighth eighth this year. Collingwood. Collingwood. In eighth. In eighth. Eight wins. played in the last five grand finals, though. Yep. Sorry, Pies. (laughs) Eighth with only eight goals, which means, of course, they had ten whole losses and a percentage of 100.6. 
Mm, all right. Mm. So, what happened, Timmy? Interesting season. Mm. Charlie, quickly tell us who the uh, captain and coach are. So, Collingwood this year, uh, captain by Jack Regan, coached by Jock McHale. Their lead goal kicker was Des Fothergill with 56, that lowest in quite a while, as we've spoken about. Yeah. So, the Ron Todd saga. Ooh. Ron Todd being a champion goal kicker. He kicked 100 goals in the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, massive fallout, massive drama here. Oh, we yes. We talked, uh, talked at the end of last season that this is his last game in the VFL, mm-hmm. the grand final. Um, so, the end of 39, he committed what, from a Collingwood perspective, was the unforgivable sin, and he crossed to a rival VFA team. Oh. Um, that team being Williamstown. Mm-hmm. He was resentful that gate receipts were so high, but the players couldn't share in this because Jock McHale kind of had this rule in place that all players should be paid the same. Mm-hmm. He didn't want players getting jealous or getting out of sorts because some were getting more money and some were getting less. He thought they should all be on an even keel, mm-hmm. which was a Collingwood thing. A lot of other clubs didn't do that. Right. Collingwood did. And yeah. Um, so in March 1940, bookmaker and Williamstown president Bill Dooley offered Todd a three year deal guaranteeing him £500 plus match payments. And the match payments were double what he was getting at the pies. Mm. And it was, I think it was £500, kind of, or £100 straight up and then lump sums over the, the yeah. course Yeah, so pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, so uh, John Wren, the Collingwood benefactor, mm-hmm. and, and Bookie offered to match this sum, but the committee refused to break on this. They didn't want to be paying a player more than the, the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Didn't want jealousy and discontent to uh, destroy the team's fine spirit. Absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, Tom Wraith, club president, met with him twice and appeared to have convinced Ron Todd to stay. He even appeared in the second half of a practice game in the preseason. Wow, okay. However, when he had signed the original contract with Williamstown, he'd also accepted a £100 cheque from Dooley and signed the contract. Um, and so that Williamstown refused to let him out of that contract. Uh, by admitting he'd taken the money, he was possibly in breach of the Coulter Law, which meant he could potentially be banned from playing the VFL anyway. Mm-hmm. So in the end, um, he moved to Williamstown saying, you know, he gave them his word, so he did. Um, and because they'd signed Ron Todd, they'd doubled their uh, season tickets they'd usually sell. People wanted to see Ron Todd. He's a goal Oh, great business deal from them. Yeah. Mm. And the other interesting thing is um, this is the first season we go into now where Collingwood don't have a power forward mm. since Dick Lee in 1906. So that's 35, that's a long time 35 years of goal-kicking champions with Dick Lee, Gordon Coventry and Ron Todd being mm-hmm. those. The other interesting thing, though, uh, 35 years also being the number of which famous Collingwood champion? <laughs> Peter Dacos. Oh. Number 35. It's like a numerology thing here. Is this a coincidence? <laughs> oh, I don't think it is a coincidence, Timmy. Gary at the uh, the Collingwood Football History Tour would be uh, all over that. He'd say it's a coincidence <laughs> and he'd love that we're mentioning Peter Dacos in any aspect. <laughs> um, okay, another more drama here at Collingwood. Tell me. The Collier brothers. Oh, yeah. Albert and Sid? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Sid Collier? No. Albert and Harry. Albert yes. and Harry. Um, they trained well in the preseason, and come the start of the season, the two brothers were left off the training list. They left <gasps> off the list. They were kind of cut. Why? Um, Harry was 32. Albert was 30. D- and look, there was some doubt about Albert's knee, mm-hmm. but the club told the brothers that it was the fans who didn't want them. I mean, they knew it was a committee. Yeah. Um, so because of this, Albert sat out and eventually would cross to arch rivals Fitzroy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, I'll tell you what happened to Harry in a minute. Okay. 
Um, so as Charlie told us, Jack Regan was captain, but only managed nine games. In his place, Fonty Kine replaced him in the games he wasn't able to play. So lots of drama at Collingwood. Round one was a two-goal win over South, and then a loss at home to Geelong. Uh, they accounted for hated enemy Carlton by 37 points at home, but then fell to North Melbourne and Melbourne. Uh, so after five games, they sat with two wins and three losses. A bit of a precarious position mm. for them. Round six, Collingwood allowed Harry Collier to play a final game with the club against Essendon, which was his 253rd game, which qualified him for 15 years of service. Okay. I mean, Weird. They let him play one game. Yeah. The fans gave him a special cheer, remembering all the brilliant deeds he'd achieved over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kicked two goals in a two-point win, but I feel like that's... Th- so disrespectful about yeah. the way they've got rid of these two absolute champions. <laughs> and then done him a favour. Yeah. Mm. Well, I will let you play one game. Yeah, strange. Um, round seven, in a win over St Kilda, Des Fothergill, who I'm sure you'll be talking a bit about later, was yes. lauded for his extraordinary skills. The Argus saying, rising splendidly to the greater demands of his skill, Des Fothergill, Collingwood Rover, is playing the best football of his career. His cleverness in extricating himself from difficult positions, his uncanny sense of positional play, and his ability to make openings for passes stamp him as a champion. Mm, go Dez. Yes, we will be speaking about him. Um, back-to-back losses to Richmond, Fitzroy and Footscray all but ended their finals aspirations. They fell down to eighth. And the Argus saying that the Collingwood was not the magpie of old. It seems to have lost some of its feathers. Hmm. Um, that may give the side a, light, a slight bedraggled appearance, but... In some spirit, in some ways, the old spirit is still there. <laughs> but Collingwood, it's good. To, I got to say, it's good to see them down at the bottom of the ladder. It does feel nice. Mm. No yeah, offense. Drama, drama at Collingwood as Honestly. always. Second, second player to leave in two years, mm. and it's not going to be the last, Moz. No, we've got a few to come. Um, seventh place, Fitzroy finished on a nice even nine wins, nine losses, and a percentage of ninety-two point three. And Charlie, tell us about the captain and coach. So Fitzroy, captained by Frank Curcio, coached by Dan Minogue. Their lead goal kicker was Claude Curtin with 56. So still being called the Gorillas here. Hmm. And they are with a new coach, Dan Minogue, hmm. uh, who is now coaching his fifth team. Dan? Hmm. Really working your way around. Isn't he? Um, new recruits, here's some good names for you. Shadrach James. <laughs> um that's the best of them. They also recruited Keith Forbes, Essendon champion, had been at North. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bert Clay and Alan Ruthven as well. They recruited far and wide. Um, Alan Ruthven coming across from Ivanhoe and they stole North's captain coach at the time, who was Keith Forbes. Um, a good win over St Kilda to start the season was followed by losses to North Melbourne and Geelong. It was after this third game that Dan Minogue came to full forward Fred Hewson, who had kicked 93 games in 30. 30- 93 goals in 34 games and suggested he move to full back. Huh. Uh, the extreme opposite. Yeah. Hewson's response was this. The glamour of full forward had something to do with my reaction. I did protest, but Dan said I was the only player who, who had all the attributes required for full back. He said I could mark, kick, and had experience at full forward, which he said should make me a better full back than the ordinary man. Mm-hmm. This position position stuck for the next 130 games of his career. He would only get, he would only get two more goals, and be named at Fitzroy's fullback of the century. Wow! So absolute Dan, vision from Dan. Yeah, absolute. Uh, round eight, Fitzroy took it right up to the ladder, leading Demons, just falling short against them. Mm-hmm. In this game, federal opposition leader John Curtin was present to watch his nephew Claude kick six goals. Hmm. But Fitzroy couldn't get the game done, the job done. A um, bit of a controversy in this game. 
Um, with time running down, Keith Forbes was running into goal, streaming into goal um, to, to kick the winning goal. But as he did that, uh, the umpire blew his whistle saying he'd taken too many steps and he gave a free kick to Melbourne. Oh. Um, this resulted in a Melbourne free kick with Fitzroy officials being flabbergasted. <laughs> you like that word, don't you? I do. Uh, mid-season, the club announced it was in a cash crisis mm-hmm. with not enough money for player payments. The players decided to keep playing. This Their reward was a decision by the committee to make retrospective payments. Mm-hmm. So they promised, we'll pay you when we have the money. Mm-hmm. Look, they've come through the depression, so they're probably they're used to dealing with no money. Yeah. They have outside jobs as well. This mm-hmm. is just bonus, and they'll get it eventually. Yeah. Round 16, they had a 28-point loss to Richmond, which knocked the Gorillas from the top four and ended their real chance at breaking their finals drought. All right. Sixth place. Top of the ladder now. Footscray, also with nine wins, nine losses, and a percentage of 108.9. All right, Charlie. So Footscray, captained by Norm Ware, coached by Joe Kelly. Their lead goal kicker was uh, Charlie Page with 52. So if you remember last season, uh, so two seasons earlier, Footscray had made finals for the first time. Mm-hmm. They'd, they'd celebrated the fact they were up there. They mm-hmm. had a song. They're now back down. Last season, they finished second last. They had a very poor season. Kind of what St Kilda did this season. Mm. Um, but now they're, scra- they're scraping their way yeah. back. Yeah, Yo-yoing. Sixth position. So they've, they've gone back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, they got off to a much better start with wins over Richmond and Essendon. Uh, the win over Richmond actually saw Charlie Page kick nine goals. But then round three, Melbourne brought them back down to earth, <laughs> as they did to many teams in that era. Mm-hmm. Um, after round six, they sat at three and three and then went on a four-game winning streak with important wins including a strong one over Collingwood with Paige kicking seven, and they sat second on the ladder. Wow. Back to the highs of two years ago. Mm. But then they played some of the bigger hitting teams in the league, and this kind of dropped them back down. Four losses in a row. Mm. Um, so four wins, four losses, then two wins, and then two losses. Oh, I love a maths pattern. Yeah, their season was summed mm. up by these you know, small runs of wins and losses. A five-point loss to Geelong in round 17 really ended their run at finals. Mm. Uh, Charlie Page being the highlight, kicking 50 to- 52 goals for the season. Nice. Um, fifth place just out of the finals was Carlton. The Cockatoos. I know, so close. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Ten wins, eight losses, and a percentage of 111.3. All right. Yeah, Charlie. Uh, so Carlton this year, captained by Brighton Diggins, coached by Brighton Diggins, their lead goal kicker was Paul Schmidt with 55. Carlton showed at Geelong in round one that the place kick is not altogether forgotten and demonstrated its value with kicking goals. Although the Blues' forward work was generally faulty, Rout and Hale combined, sorry, obtained full returns with their attempts at goals. Jack Rout place kicked the Blues' first goal and Jack Hale place kicked the seventh. However, maybe this accounts for their atrocious kicking as they <laughs> kicked 12 goals 27 in this game. Oh. 99, for a score of 99. So I like that they're trying to bring back this old skill, which kind of has been dying out. Yeah, tell me more about the skill. The place kick. Okay, so um, it's like an American football kickoff. You put the okay. ball on the ground and you run back and you kick it. Um, right. All the best kicks in the early days could could boot the ball a mile when kicking like that. Mm. And so only older players could know how to do that because it was an old style of kick. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it quite hard to do when I've tried it, and I can see why it's been bought out of the game, taken out of the game. But yeah, in these days, it was quite accurate. Cool. And these ah. two players have obviously maybe they're a bit of larking around because they were playing Geelong. I, I don't know. 
Well, yeah. Um, so, following the round six 14-point loss over Fitzroy, the Blues sat in third place with four wins and two losses. They would then suffer four losses in a row to the likes of Lowly North Melbourne and Hawthorne. Oh. Both of those in the space of eight days when both teams were last on the ladder. Oh, no. <laughs> they sat precariously in seventh. Uh, in round 11, the Blues took on the then top-placed Tigers, and in a surprise return to form, they jumped out of the blocks with a five-goal lead by quarter time and then held on to win. Hmm. So to lose to like bottom of the ladder two weeks in a row and then build, beat the top team. Strange. Again, yo-yoing season. Mm-hmm. Uh, round 14, Carlton had a strong win over the Magpies by 15 points at Princess Park, keeping their flicker of finals alive. <laughs> round 15, they probably had their best win of the year as Carlton smashed Melbourne. With a 37-point win at the MCG. Mm-hmm. Despite a relatively close game at the last change, Carlton kicked seven goals to put the game beyond any doubt, with Paul Schmidt kicking five, Jim Francis four, and Bob Chitty three. Um, round 17. The Carlton win over Fitzroy game was notable for the number of freak goals scored. Ooh. Let's talk more Yeah, about what that. do you mean by freak goals? Schmidt and McInnes for Carlton snapped overhead goals, and Sharp of Fitzroy scored a remarkable goal as he was flung to the ground. The best goal of the day was scored by Jack Rout of Carlton. From near the centre, he dropped, drop-kicked one of the finest goals ever scored at the ground. Jack Hale, one of the few present-day players to exploit the place kick, had two attempts at it in the game against Fitzroy, so the place kick again. Yeah. In the third quarter, against the win, the ball fell short to the post. But on his second attempt in the last quarter, he sent the ball straight through the po- post from about 50 yards out, and there was a great applause and some astonishment when he put the ball through. <laughs> So I don't know why these two players are bringing the uh, place kick back for this season. I like it, though. I like it, too. <laughs> I have not heard enough about the place yeah, kick. Yeah, it's a lost art form. Yeah. Um, despite winning their final five games, they fell short of making finals for the second year in a row. They consider this another disappointing season. Um, and this season also saw the first reporting of Bob Chitty, who would become a regular at the tribunal. He wasn't <laughs> suspended, but he, you know, he's just letting himself know. Mm-hmm. Feisty guys. fella. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Would you like to hear about the team who came in fourth, Tim? I would. Thank you for asking. That team is, in fact, Geelong. 11 wins, 7 losses, and a percentage of 102.9. So a slightly lower percentage than a few of the other teams, but um, they just got up by that one win. So the team Mm. in fifth and sixth has a better percentage than them, but Mm -hmm. they didn't make finals. No. Got to win those games. Mm -hmm. Charlie, tell us more. Geelong this year, captained and coached by Reg Hickey. Their lead goal kicker was Jack Grant with 47. All right. After a first-up win over Collingwood at Victoria Park in round two, Fitzroy came down to Cryo Oval to play the Black Cats. The Cats winning this game by 29 points. However, the paper reported that during the game at Cryo Oval, there were times when it seemed Geelong did not want goals. Hmm. The forwards did everything but score four points. It was also noticeable that... Too many players were content with short kicks when one good kick would have been more beneficial. Several Geelong players spoiled good work by faulty passing. There is one Geelong forward who is due for a run in the seconds unless he shows further improvement. Scavening. Media down there, that's just another example of uh, not wanting to upset the media, just Mm -hmm. how strong that media can be down in Geelong. Sleepy (laughs) Hollow. Uh, They then had two wins. Round four, they had a loss to Richmond by 45 points, but this was Tommy Quinn's 100th consecutive game and also proved to be... His last. Oh. Mm. Um, also, it was Reg Hickey's last game. Oh, Captain Reg. Coach, yeah. Um, very similar to uh, Ansel Clark, he stood aside to make room for younger players. So Alan Everett took over the captaincy for the remainder of the season. Mm-hmm. So a, a big loss there of two players. Yeah, a bit huge. of experience. That's 
that's 300 and something games of experience they've lost in one game. Mm-hmm. And they still made finals. Yeah. Round 10, the Black Cats travelled to the MCG to take on the Demons, who mm-hmm. kicked off this game. So both teams scored 16 goals, or a combined 16 goals in the first quarter, equal to the most goals ever kicked in the first quarter. Yeah. What, what a, a great game. Oh, and that's only the first quarter, Moz. Oh, tell me more. Uh, the Demons looked the better side until their defence collapsed and Geelong's Glenister kicked three goals in two minutes to round off an eight-goal second term and give the visitors the lead. The Cats hung on to the lead with both teams kicking nine goals each in the second half. Um, Geelong won the game in what was the highest aggregate score for a VFL match, the score being 154. 24 goals, 10, 154, to Melbourne, 22 goals, 19, 151. <laughs> aggregate score of 46 goals, 28. Uh, it's 48, sorry. 46 goals, 29, 305. It was the first VFL match ever to see an aggregate of more than 300 points. Yeah, that's awesome. God, that's just what we're doing. being in the crowd for that. Oh. Too many goals scored these days. <laughs> Round 12, Geelong were equal first going into this game and managed to take the points against Carlton. In a game of missed shot, shots for goal, the Cats won by a point despite Carlton having four more scoring shots. Umpire Hawkins failed to hear the bell signalling the end of the second quarter. And according to the Australasian's match report, uh, the umpire was the only person who failed to hear it. Geelong scored a goal in the period of extra time and went on to win the game by the barest of margins. Uh, Harry Marsham kicked the winning point as well as the bell went. So this win over Carlton at Princess Park would be their last away win until round 5, 1947. They would go on to lose the next 43 away games they would play. <gasps> no. Yep. That's horrendous. Yep. <laughs> uh, round fourteen, Jimmy Knight appeared to play in the game to play in this game wearing his Air Force uniform, having joined the Air Force. Oh. Um, his presence in the game wasn't enough to inspire Geelong to a win as Fitzroy got the better of them by twenty seven points. Mm-hmm. And round seventeen, in what was to be the final game of football ever played at Cryo Oval, the Cats team was depleted due to a bout of the flu. Hmm. Mm, timing. Um, however, it was one of the finest finishes ever witnessed at the ground. Geelong was able to snatch victory. So with a few minutes to play, the Bulldogs were ahead. But Geelong rallied its forces, and despite three missed shots at goal, they had all the play. With 90 seconds left, Knight emerged out of the scramble and with a fine effort put Geelong ahead by five points. <laughs> they held on to win, and this was also what catapulted them into the finals. Um they, so at the time, they didn't know this was going to be the final game at Cryo Oval. It was only the next year that the army would take over the ground and use it and force the cats out. Oh, wow. Um, and despite a final round loss to Essen and Geelong, were again finals bound, which is good because mm-hmm. they missed finals the, the previous year, finishing outside at mm-hmm. the top four. Yeah, they scraped in by that five points. Mm. Right, moving up. All right, moving up. We've got your boys, Timmy. Essendon. Hey, third on the ladder. Third. Whoa, baby. Oh, the 40s are already good. <laughs> and with 12, 12 wins. 12 wins, six losses, percentage of 108.2. Go the Dons. I love it. I love it. Um, Charlie, tell us who captain coached. So Essendon, captain by Dick Reynolds, coached by Dick Reynolds for a full season this time. Uh, their lead goal kicker was Edward Bryce with 48. All right. This is a, a significant season for Essendon in several ways. Um, Tuesday, April 9th, was the night that Essendon officially became known as the Bombers. Oh, it's my birthday. Is it? <laughs> what a day. Hey. 
The Bombers. Um, the committee officially adopted the title, The Bombers. Mm. The proximity to the airport and the number of warplanes helping out in, helped inspire the name. Ah, oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, as Charlie hopefully told us, Dick Reynolds now has sole coaching responsibilities of the team. And his instructions were to play the game fast with lots of handball. Mm-hmm. He was really inspired by the way Collingwood played a hard brand and I think Melbourne as well. And actually in, um, in Dan Eddy's book about Dick Reynolds, he talks about the 1937 grand final and how Geelong were just so fast when playing Collingwood and, and that's one of the things that inspired him. Mm-hmm. Uh, new players here included George Whopper Lane, Harold <laughs> Lambert, Charlie Challenger, <laughs> my favourite, Ivor McIver. Oh, yes. Um, Alan Hurd coming across from Hawthorne, who grandfather of James. Uh-huh. And Cess Ruddle. So some good names there that we can uh, quiz Kaz on later. Round one saw a sterling 17-point win over the reigning premiers Melbourne at Windy Hill. Hmm. The headlines reading, Essendon Bombers sink the demons. Oh, <laughs> oh look at that chuckle. <laughs> uh, round three, Essendon then defeated South Melbourne. However, in this game, Murray Exelby was reported for striking and given four weeks. When asked for a response by the press, he claimed that, This is murder! In round seven, the Bombers beat Geelong in Geelong by 15 points for the first time in Dick Reynolds' career. Seven attempts he tried to win down in Geelong, never got, never won there. Yes. Um, this win kicked off a purple patch for the Bombers with five wins in a row. Round nine, Essendon used interesting tactics to defeat Richmond by five points at Punt Road Oval. So with the team more than 30 points down early in the second half, Dick Reynolds instructed his team to play the ball along the flanks and keep it away from Jack Dyer, who was parked at centre-half forward. In the last minute, Jack Titus, who had kicked six goals, had an easy chance to steal the game, but kicked only a point. Essendon then rushed the ball up the field and kicked the winning goal to take the game by five points, Moz. <laughs> Go, boys. Uh, round 10, in Tom Reynolds' 50th game, they played St Kilda, and Tom was able to slot two goals. Ted Bryce, four. Ray Watt, six, as the Bombers kicked seven goals, two in the final quarter to overrun the Saints by just two points. Mm. And round 17, the Bombers smashed the Pies by 47 points, signalling a changing of the guards between the two teams. <laughs> the Magpies' domination over the Essendon Bombers had finished. I was sick of it. We barely beat them in the 30s. Finally, we're on the up and up. Yeah, welcome to the 40s. Round 18 was a big 10-goal win over first-week finals opponent Geelong, with Percy Bushby kicking five. Um, it's always funny when two teams play in the last round and then the first week of the finals. It's mm. always... I find it quite bizarre. Mm-hmm. They usually don't go their hardest yeah. in, the, in the one before. And definitely Geelong, I think, rested quite a few players. That's why we were able to beat them by so many. Uh-huh. Makes sense. Um, let's move up. Okay. Second posse, Richmond, with also with 12 wins and six losses, but a percentage of 120. So they got – they topped Essendon on a percentage alone. Yes. By nearly 12%. Yes. Charlie. Mm. So Richmond, captain coach this year by Perth Bentley for the last year. Their lead goal kicker was Jack Titus with exactly 100, and that is Jack Titus's seventh year as lead goal kicker in a row, not the last. So pre-season, Jack Dyer asked the committee to clear him to coach the Cubs, who were the, the seconds team, mm-hmm. or risk him going to Yarraville and crossing to the VFA. Right. Um, Dyer was upset by the political events at Richmond and didn't want to play with the first 18 at this point. Um, he'd actually signed a clearance form to Yarraville, but Richmond didn't want him to go. The Richmond seconds had appointed him coach prior to the approval of the Richmond Seniors Committee, but he was refused a clearance and was kept at the club and 
history being history, he goes on to be a champion, even though he's already a champion at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Round one, Richmond lose their first game of the season by 12 points to Fitzroy at Punt Road Oval. In this game, Jack Dyer twists his back and is replaced during the game. Oh, he's back. Yeah. Round three, Jack Titus kicks eight goals against Hawthorne at Glen Ferry and Richmond win their first game of the season. So after two straight losses. Mm-hmm. Jack Simons is disqualified by the tribunal for four weeks for charging Hawthorne's Harold Elberston. In round five, Jack Titus kicks five of Richmond's first seven goals in a 21-point win over Fitzroy. Uh, they're in a bit of a hot streak here of wins with uh, six in a row. Round, tw- round 11, Carlton defeat Richmond by 11 points at Punt Road. Um, the Tigers slipping down to fourth position. This game was attended by Sir Winston Duggan, the governor of Victoria, hmm. um, and was made an honorary member of Richmond. Which I always like when uh, you get celebrities come and visit mm-hmm. the club, and the club always has a special jumper with uh, their name <laughs> written on the back. Um, and he would be the club's first number one member. Oh, lucky man. Yeah, I, th- I wonder if that's when they introduce, you know, a number one ticket holder. Yeah. And why is that even a thing? Mm. Uh, round 14, captain coach Percy Bentley didn't play, and so Jack Dyer captain Richmond for the very first time. Oh. We know he would go on to do this a few more times. <laughs> uh, they'd, however, lose this game to Hawthorne by eight points at Punt Road. Round 15, Geelong... Sorry, Richmond defeats the second place Geelong by 20 points in Geelong. Um, the Cats got to within one point of the Tigers in the last term. In this game, Jack Titus kicked eight goals, and Percy Bentley returned from injury, but collapsed again after the game. Mm, that's not good. No, it's not good. Round 16, the third place, Richmond defeated the fourth place, Fitzroy, at Punt Road Oval. They were separated by percentage before the game, but now, because of the win, the Tigers pull clear. Mm-hmm. A brawl took place in the last quarter between at least four players from both sides. A man in uniform jumped the fence and briefly joined the brawl before police were able to intervene. <laughs> uh, umpire Hawkins stops to play further down the field to help break up the fight. And I guess that means by, like, a man in uniform, an army officer? Yeah, I was picturing, or it, a police officer, or... Oh, no, because no, uh, the police in... jumped in. Right, yeah, yeah, man in uniform's got to be. Army. Weird. Uh, on leave, I guess, and maybe having a few tinnies in the outer. <laughs> Getting a bit aggro. Round 17, Jack Titus kicks nine goals against St Kilda at St Kilda. He had now amassed 85 goals for the season, breaking oh. his own club record of 83, um, that he set in 35 and equaled in 36. <laughs> Round 18, Richmond secured second position on the ladder and a double chance by defeating South Melbourne at South in the last game of the regular season. Jack Titus kicking in just another lazy seven. Whoa. Yeah. Let's have a sore foot. <laughs> and the team you want to hear, I think, is up at the top. It is up at the top. Thank you for thank you for saying that. Up on the top in number one spot with a gold medal, Melbourne, Melbourne Demons. 14 wins, four losses, and a whopping percentage of 125.8. They don't hand out a gold medal for finishing on top, though. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, new recruits included Fred Fanning, who is a, uh, a record holder that we'd, we will come to know at mm-hmm. Melbourne. Um, Charlie, please delight in telling us who the captain and coach are. So the Mighty Ds this year, captained by Alan LaFontaine, coached by Checker Hughes, their lead goal kicker was Norm Smith with 86. I feel like we're getting in that same position that we were in with Carlton for a little, uh, Collingwood for a little while. Same names year after year. I like it. So pre-season, Melbourne uh, were... Their pre-season fitness campaign was overseen by Danish expert Drace Nissen. Oh! Um, I guess Checker Hughes getting in a, a, a fitness specialist to help harden the team. Um, round one, however, they... 
they succumbed to the curse of the president's wife with a disappointing loss mm. to a mighty Essendon team on the up and up. <laughs> um, their first win came in round two against Richmond with a 23-point win. Um, I think in that second game as well, the premiership flag from 1939 was raised. I've got a lovely picture of it here. Aww. Yeah, uh, round four, a win over Carlton was marred by Keith Bluey Truscott fracturing his skull, and he would miss the next 11 games. Um, round five, Norm Smith was his side's best against Collingwood in the first half, kicking five goals by half time. But he should have had, but he should have been more. It should have been more goals with wasteful kicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the D's ran out 16 point winners. Round seven. Now, in the in the intro, I talked about an unwanted record Melbourne had. Yes. This is it. Okay. All right. Coming off a loss to Hawthorne, the D's travelled to Arden Street to take on North Melbourne, and they were dominant. They had 46 shots on goal. But the rain and the fierce winds affected the accuracy. Mm. They kicked Moz 12 goals, 34. Oh, no. 106. 34 <gasps> behinds. Oh, dismal. Yeah. Oh. Um, which is a record... Uh, the score represented the most behinds ever kicked in the league to this point and <laughs> remains the third highest in VFL-AFL history. Oh, dear. It is still Melbourne's record behind score and the gap between Melbourne's 34 behinds and North Melbourne's one behind is the largest of all time. So in that game, North Melbourne only kicked one behind. Oh, you couldn't do that if you tried. North, uh, Norm Smith was the chief offender, kicking two goals 11. Oh, Norm. Um, and here's the breakdown as well. The first quarter they kicked three goals six... Uh, second quarter, they kicked two goals, nine. Third quarter, five goals, eight. Last quarter, two goals, 11. <laughs> Painful. Painful. I mean, at least they're having shots on goal, but 34 behinds. Yeah, at least we've finished top of the ladder. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Uh, in round eight, however, Melbourne were given a bit of a scare by Fitzroy. Mm. A clever move by the Gorillas was to put Len Smith on his brother, Norm Smith. <laughs> the two almost coming to blows. And this reminded me of a match in the mid-2000s when... Um, Michael Voss for Brisbane was at the peak of his game and they played St Kilda in a, in a big game at Telstra Dome, I think it was called at that stage, and they put his brother on him. Oh, yeah. clever. Yeah. I'd get flustered if my sister was put on me. Yeah, and then I remember there was another one. One of the Selwoods was playing on his brother mm-hmm. and there was a classic line, my dad slept with your mum. Oh, <laughs> I like it. Um, round nine, playing a strong Saints side, the D's trailed by 10 points at the last change. But then the D's, doing what they could do, rattled home with seven goals in the final term to earn victory. Mm-hmm. Three of the goals came in the last three minutes, which carried them over the line. Two from Roy Dowsing. And then a Mori Gibb goal on the bell won the game. Very nice. Round 10 was a record-breaking game against Geelong, um, which we talked about already. And Melbourne could consider themselves particularly unlucky having booted the highest losing score ever recorded. I think it was 151. Hmm. Um, and having lost a chance to win the match when Ron Barassi had a shot at goal after the siren with his side four points down, but he kicked a point. Ah, oh, Ron. Round 13, in another amazing game, Melbourne won an incredible one against Richmond at Punt Road Oval. The Tigers opened up the third time, like third term like a house on fire, taking the margin out to a game-high 38 points. Uh, before the potent Melbourne attack sparked with 10 minutes left in the third quarter and got them back to within three goals by three-quarter time. Mueller kicked four goals as part of the comeback and the Ds ran out eventual seven-point winners. Yes, that is beautiful. They really, the will to mm. win. For the second week in a row, the Demons spotted their opponents. Um, Footscray a huge lead before reeling them in. They were six goals down in the third quarter. Oh. before booting three late goals against the win to make it an interesting third quarter, uh, final quarter. 
Footscray battled hard to defend their lead, but the strong wind saw Melbourne sweep to a 19-point victory. Wow! So they were down by six goals, did you say? So, so against Richmond, it was 38 points, and the week after, it was 36 points, yeah. And then they won by they won 18, by 19 points. 19 against Footscray, yeah. Wow! Um, in round 17, as revenge against Hawthorne, who beat them earlier in the season, uh, the Demons created two records in this thumping win. Their score of 26 goals 20, 176, was their highest score against Hawthorne and their highest round 17 score ever. Norm Smith kicked eight, Beam six, and Roy Dowsing four, who came in to replace Ron Barassi, who could not obtain leave from the Army to play in this game. Mm. Um, with a win over North, the Demons consolidated their top spot and headed into the finals. Um, so with a final win over North Melbourne, um, who... Melbourne fans like beating and don't do it very often at the moment. Um, <laughs> Demons consolidated top spot on the ladder heading into finals. All right, and that brings us to uh, Big Red. So we'll have a quick check in with Murph and see how we're going around the grounds. Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football. Hi, all. Welcome to another episode of Big Red's Roundup. To Perth, and the winner of the Waffle Premiership this year was Claremont, defeating East Fremantle in a classic grand final. Taking out the Sandover medal for the best and fairest this year was Ed O'Keefe. And winning the Bernie Naylor medal for the most goals was George Maloney from Claremont with 129 goals. Now to Adelaide in the Sandful, and the winner of the Premiership was Sturt defeating Port Adelaide, cementing their spot as a number one team. The McGarry medal was won by Mel Brock from Glenelg. The leading goal kicker was Ken Farmer for the 11th time with 125 goals. In the VFA now, the Premiers were none other than Port Melbourne, beating Williamstown in what was an absolute thumping league best and fairest were won by Jack Davis from Brighton. The leading goal kicker was Ted Freyer with 157 goals. That's another exciting year of football around Australia. Remember, kick straight. Thanks, Big Red and Moz. Let's uh, let's play that Brownlow Downlow theme. Yay, let's. The Brownlow Downlow with Moz. Tell us the Brownlow medal. Well, quite thank inter- you for asking. Quite an interesting year from what I know. A very interesting year. So, it's interesting, first of all, because uh, the highest number of votes ever for a Brownlow up to this point was 27 votes. Timmy, do you remember which year and who that was? Off the top I'm going to say it's probably Dick Reynolds with the smile. Yes, it is, it is. 34? 37. Oh. But great job. Yeah. Halfway there. <laughs> um, this year, oh, 32 points okay. won the award. 32 votes. Sorry, 32 votes. Yep. And it was won by two people. Two, a draw. We haven't had a draw for a, a while. A draw. A draw, each with 32. Yep. Huge. Now those two people were um, Desmond Fothergill and Herbie Matthews. Desmond. I guess Herbert Matthews. Yeah. Um, Des and Herbie. And their points could not even, sorry, their votes could not even be divided on countback. Yeah. So they just had, they both won 
Yeah, so the countback system being where they look at their amount of three and two and one votes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. they'd received exactly the same. Yeah, in the exactly same amount of games they'd played. Yep. Everything was the same. Everything was the same. Wow. So the VFL had not accounted for this and they had just made one medal that year. So instead of giving it to either of them, they, they gave each man a replica of the medal. Okay. Um, and that was not, I mean, they didn't receive a real medal until 1989. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you, can, and you can go and watch that ceremony on YouTube as well. Yes, I watched it. Yeah. So, so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> they called it the uh, the retrospective Brownlow. Mm-hmm. So Des Fothergill debuted in the VFL at age 16 for Collingwood. He was said to have been extra loved by the crowd who thought of him as a child prodigy and apparently especially the women had a real soft spot for uh-huh. him. Um, he played in the VFL until 1941 when he decided to play for Williamstown, another Williamstowner yep. um, in the VFA. But like so many, he did not get clearance from the VFL mm. and he was then banned from coming back to the VFL. But then, um, as we'll discuss in, further in, I guess, next year's episode, the VFA recessed during the war. So Des played nowhere. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um but then the VFL reneged the ban in 1945 and in that year Des returned and he kicked 65 goals for that season. But then in 1947, he said, stuff you, footy. I'm going to move to England and play cricket. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently he was an absolute champion cricketer well, as well. County cricket over there. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And in Stuff the, you. I know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, that is not a direct quote. Yeah. Um, and in the interview in 1989, when they went to the retrospective Brownlow night, um, he did say that his true love was cricket over football. Wow. Mm, yeah. I think he says something like that in the uh, interview on in the Brownlow presentation of 89. Yeah. They asked him, he's like, no, I didn't really like footy. I was yeah. Like, yeah. And the, the audience laughs, but he's completely deadpan. Yeah. Yeah. Quite funny. I would recommend watching that. Um, then there was Herbie Matthews, who debuted in 1932 with the Bloods. He was renowned for um, playing on after a free kick, which was not such a common, I mean, not a commonly used skill back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also known for running to and from training and to and from the games to, yeah. to keep fit. <laughs> so good on him for the that. the games as well. Yeah. Wow. Keeping extra fit, Herb. Yeah. Um, he came third in the Brownlow in 1936 and second in 1937. Then obviously 1940 he managed to take it out. Um, Herbie's football career ended rather abruptly in 1945. He was known as Mr Clean because he was always so meticulously fair throughout his entire career. But in 1945, there was the infamous bloodbath game. Was he involved, was he? He, Well, he was kind of involved. Not, I don't think, in the actual bloodbath part of it, but he he was reported for throwing the ball away after a free kick. (laughs) And oh, we talked about that, yeah. Yep, and he was reported and he said, stuff you football, and he retired <laughs> at the age of 31. Stuff you football. He'd been so well behaved for his entire career and that just, just being reported, he said, no, nah, see ya. Um, so as we already mentioned, in 1989, Des and Herbie were finally awarded the official Brownlow medals that they never managed to get yeah. in 1940. Um... And to finish off, Essendon's Hugh Tawney finished with 24 votes, in which third? is even... In oh, yeah, I guess second? third. Yeah. He, he was... The next one. The next yeah. one down, 24 yeah. votes. And Footscray's Norm Ware was then below him on 20 okay. votes. Yeah. Question for you. I'm not sure if you know the answer. Did they 
were they officially Brownlow medalists or did they say 1940 no one won like how did they record that uh, according to my readings they were Brownlow medalists okay. yeah but it was it was a weird one yeah they just didn't have the physical Brownlow medal for them <laughs> they mm. had they had a replica that they each got and they kept their they kept the replica as well they right? kept the re- replica until 1989 mm. Mm. interesting interesting that it took so long for them to get a replacement I reckon yeah oh, there was a lot of players though when that happened <laughs> yeah okay, there's so a few strange. more draws coming up excellent mm. Finals. Finals. My favourite time. Welcome back, Charlie. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, so, first semi-final, we've got Essendon taking on Geelong. Essendon back in the finals for the first time since the mid-20s. Jeez, and aren't they happy to be there? Aren't I, and ready to go. Aren't I happy that they're there? Yes, I bet you are listening to a bit of this rubbish Melbourne chat going on. <laughs> uh, so, in front of 44,187 people at the MCG on the 7th of September... Geelong, uh, sorry, Essendon took their opportunity. Look, Reynolds kicked, had a goal within the opening minute. Yeah. That's how good we were. And just killed it. And then then Tom kicked the next goal. Game, look, the second quarter was really where we set it up. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, you were leading from the beginning. Let's be, yeah, but as you said. that second quarter, we piled on six goals, six. Yes, to, two, what, two, two goals, goals one. one. 43-point lead at half time. They looked like they might be coming back, though, in that third quarter. Well, that's the only time they were really challenged, yeah. but there was that big difference. Wally Buttsworth was dominating down the back. Their ruck work was doing well. Um, they did take the foot off the pedal, but it, you know, it was their first finals win since 1925. Good on them. Is that, uh, is that uh, longer than the current fi- finals drought? No. Uh, it's up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had to bring that up. Yeah, sorry, no, no. that's all right. Um, which takes us to the second semi-final, Melbourne versus Richmond, uh, which you would have thought would have been a walkover, but not so much. No, this is quite in a big of, game. In front of just under 55,000, a very uh, vitriolic and uh, rough game. Absolutely. Richmond really took it to Melbourne. and Yeah, well, um, Melbourne, Melbourne kicked the first two goals. And it should have been more. They were very wasteful. I think Harold Ball missed an absolute sitter. Uh, Jack Dyer and Jack Mule were both going hard against each other in the ruck. Um, came pretty fanatical, actually, in the second quarter. They kind of stood guarding each other for 20 minutes, but no one kind of got near the play. Yeah, yep. Um, but what, what we'll probably hear when we talk to Alan LaFontaine uh, is there was a big knock on Norm Smith. I wonder who did that. Yeah, yeah. so he, he kicked one goal four up to that point anyway, so his kicking wasn't great, but um, he was heavily collected by Captain Blood. Flattened. Um, Smith calling it the hardest bump he'd ever received. Um, it's quite a good description of it in Jack Dyer's memoirs. Yeah, I bet there um, So, yeah, he collapsed in the rooms. Uh, I think he got taken to hospital as yes, well, Norm just, Smith. Just to be looked at, I think. Um, yeah. And look, without him as their focal point, they were never really able to recover. Because um, even when he, as we've said many times, even when he's not the focal point, he is. He yeah. just creates space for other players. So with him not there, yeah. other players are easily covered. And Jack Dyer was just running ragged. I think he took out Baggett and maybe Dowling as well. Yeah. Um, the Ds were down by, I think, 27, 30-something points maybe. They, they dragged themselves into the, back into the game, but yep. ultimately ran out of gas. There wasn't enough time left. No. And all power. Yeah. Uh, so Richmond won by a goal. Good, good high-scoring game, 101 to 107. Yeah, unfortunately, sending them to a preliminary final with Essendon. Yes. So Melbourne playing Essendon in front of a very well, no, slightly smaller crowd than than the game before, in front of 47,348 people. Yeah, and look, there was a lot of doubt whether Norm Smith would be able to play. Yeah. Um, but he did get up. Being no concussion rules back in those days. 
because surely he had a concussion. Yeah, if he's 100%. if he was sent to hospital at half time, yeah. um, he kicked one goal five in the first quarter. When you're seeing eight posts, that's mm. probably <laughs> what's going to happen. So the first three quarters were very even, if you look at those scores. Yeah. Kind of nothing more than a few points in it. Um, Storm hit the ground late in the last term, so just mud and rain and everywhere. Um, Essendon actually hit the lead twice in the last quarter, and the Demons were kind of down to 16 fit men due to injuries. I think Wally Locke went down, then his replacement, Bill Baxter, had to be sent to rest in the forward line because he was injured. Uh, Harold Ball was forced to fall back to cover the key role. Bombers kind of took hold of the game in the frantic last quarter in the mud heap. But um, Harold Ball was a tower of strength um, in that last tense few minutes. He reportedly took 15 marks for the game, which was more than the other 35 players in the game combined, (laughs) especially if it was a wet game. Yeah, I was going to say, I think probably that... uh that late rain may have helped to Melbourne if we only had 16 fit players, kind of keeps it a bit scrappy. Yeah, well, in the final final frantic few minutes, a late goal to Percy Beams and Ron Baggett gave the Demons victory. Yes. Um, although the Bombers kicked a late goal through Murray Exelby, um, which brought the margin back to three points in a final frantic minute. Yes, so Melbourne end up running out the winners by five points, uh, 12-18-90 to 12-13-85. So... Both teams not overly accurate. No. That takes us to the grand final. The grand final. So between Melbourne and Richmond, a replay of the second semi. Um, yeah, so let's, instead of us telling it, yeah. let's, uh, let's, let's, let's go th- talk to Alan. Yeah, let's give him a call. Welcome again, Alan. Uh, guys, always a pleasure. What a game. Absolutely. Another one in the bag, but boy, did they make us earn it. Oh, they sure did. Was this year's flag harder to win? A hundred percent, yes. Last year was a breakthrough year, no doubt, but this year we were the hunted, not the hunter. So, And it's exactly what you saw Richmond do to us a couple of weeks ago. Um, now, let's talk about that game quickly then. Not a favourite memory, but we'll give it a go. Jack Dyer? Don't. Get me started. Oh, well, Alan, he was the big story from that semi-final. Captain Blood really did a number on you blokes. Yeah, he really did. Um, We've heard his bump on Norm Smith was the biggest and hardest of his career so far. Did you happen to see it? Look, I didn't. uh, I didn't see it. I didn't hear it, but I did see the aftermath. And, gee, Norm was groggy. I'm surprised um, Jack didn't take his head off. Uh, I'll tell you what, we were bloody angry after that, but it set the tone for the rest of the game. And with Norm out of the play, we really couldn't get our game going the way we usually do. And he wasn't even reported. Yeah, that umpire coward. Says it was all legal, a legitimate bump. All Norm got was a bloody free kick and a near-fractured skull. Uh, did you talk with Norm at half-time about it? Look, Norm was in a world of pain and we could barely understand him. Um, you probably heard he had to be taken to hospital for observation. Yeah, and his replacement, Bluey Truscott, hurt his leg anyway. Yep, Bluey went down, as did Baggett and Downing. They really took it up to us with their physicality. But to his credit, Bluey kicked three in the third quarter despite that injury, and he really kept us in the game. A good point, because Richmond did get out to a 27-point lead at one point there. Yeah, but as I said, Bluey helped us get us back into the game, and by the last change, we were in in the right game, despite being up against us all. But ultimately, you couldn't get over the blue line, could you? Nah, unfortunately, it was all we could do to stay with them. We had no answer for Skinny Titus, and they got us by a goal. Which meant that you now had to back it up against Essendon in a preliminary final. 
Yeah, seven days later. Jeez, I tell you, we were sore and sorry a <laughs> lot that day. But Checker gave you all the rest, we heard. Yeah, look, brilliant call by Checker. Uh, he knew what we needed and the rest did us a world of good. We only trained for ten minutes or so on a Thursday before heading in. Well, the bookmakers obviously thought you were done and dusted and had you, I think, at four to one underdogs, uh, but hadn't counted on Checker's tactics and changes. You guys did make a few changes? Yeah, well, in came um, Fred Fanning and Robin, all ready to play their role and freshen us up a little bit, get some new blood in the team. And how did you approach the game against Essendon? Honestly, we regarded Essendon as a better team than Richmond. Um, We were expecting to play off against them for the Premiership. Um, In the end, it was a hard-fought five-point win? Yeah, and full credit to Essendon. They pushed us right to the end. They're going to be a force to reckon with in, in the coming years. Yes, so a rematch with Richmond today. Tell us, how did Checker approach them? Because we have heard all sorts of rumours flying around. I'm sure you have. Look, his main concern, and his main concern for all of us after a couple of weeks ago was Jack Dyer. He's such a crucial big man in today's game, and we knew stopping the influence he can have on a game was the key. So what was the plan? Uh, What was the plan? It was pretty simply, Jack O'Keefe was to play shoulder-to-shoulder with Jack Dyer. Our greatest danger point. Uh, look, some years ago, Checker saw a Collingwood man upset Jack by playing shoulder to shoulder with him in a semi, and he remembered that and used it to his advantage. Oh, and it worked a treat. Tell us, did you direct players to kick the ball away from him? Every man was to kick the ball wide of Dyer and to make him keep reaching and racing for it. We hope by these means not only to check him, but to tire him. And Checker changed the ruck plan as well? Yeah, look. Mueller was to get as far away from Dyer as he could. Those ruck changes would be made as the plan. Um, after starting in the ruck, Jack was to drop back to centre-half back and Gordon Joan was going to be the back pocket and ball into the ruck. That way, if Dyer shadowed Mueller to centre-half forward, he was going to be left there. We didn't want Dyer's strong play upsetting our forward work. He can be a tremendous influence in defence with his strong rushes and the forwards become disorganised in his vigour. Look, Dyer at centre-half forward suited us perfectly. But he didn't go there uh, and he went to defence and so Keith consequently went with him. But you started the game brilliantly. Yeah, look, Baggett and Smith teaming up for that first goal was just the start we wanted. Inspirational for the side, knowing how Smith was treated last time against Richmond. Uh, there was a slight hiccup. Ray Wartman injured himself and on came Ron Barassi. Can you tell us a bit about Ron? Look, Ron's just a champion. He's a great example of a player who just plays his role for the team and doesn't question his selection. He's always happy to come in as 19th man and do what he can to win the game for his team. But apart from that injury, the Demons dominated that first quarter. We did. Uh, though straight cooking would have been kicking would have been nicer, 4-8 uh, shows our dominance in the play but not on the scoreboard and it definitely wasn't time for us to relax. Um, Norm Smith was given some clear instructions. Yep, he was again told that he should keep shoulder to shoulder with Smeaton and the other forwards would have moved as much as they could so that when he spoiled the ball, we had the Rovers at his feet to mop it up. Worked a treat. At half-time, you had a decent lead. Everything was clicking. Richmond just couldn't keep up. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? And when Smith kicked his sixth goal, you guys must have seen home and hosed. Um, he got one more. Would you say that seven, you know, a seven-goal bag, I think it was seven goals three, uh, got him best on ground? Look, he'd be pretty close, but I'll tell you what, for the second year running, Percy Beams just has been our best, I think. Uh, although we hear that Lord Mayor Morrill might be giving Smithy a medal, so maybe he had other ideas. And you won the game by 49 points, but you led by as much as 59 points at one stage. What would you put this down to? 
I don't think we can go any further than our coach, Checker. Uh, his ability to change that game, to innovate and have new ideas. He, ha he had a new focus and we stuck to it. He's the best coach that I have ever played under. So what happens now, Alan? Well, Checker and Percy have gone uh, to the Tiger Rooms to offer their commiserations to their old club. Uh, once they're back, it's probably a celebration dinner, a few speeches and a bit of singing, you know, the usual. Oh, well, a huge congratulations, yeah, Alan. Back to back. Well done. Thanks, all. So there you have it. Another Demons Premiership. I mean, it's a great time. Mm. It's just a great time <laughs> for football. Yes. Not for the world in general. No. But for AFL. Few things. And maybe for Melbourne supporters. Yeah, absolutely. A few yeah. things to take out of that game. Uh, Jack Titus kicked three goals, taking his season tally to 100. Yes. Uh, the first Tiger to do so. And Perth Bentley played his 263rd VFL game, therefore equaling Vic Thorpe's record as Richmond's most prolific player, but it would be his last match. Yes. Um, goals in that game, we've got Smith kicking seven goals, three. Yoosh. I mean, considering where he was two weeks earlier, that's amazing. Uh, Baggett and O'Keefe, two, and Fanning and Truscott, one. So O'Keefe, who was running with Jack Dyer, yes. also got two goals. Also got so two goals. Yeah. So, yeah, that... Uh that rolling sort of a tag mm, worked. Well. Um, goals for Richmond included five for Harris, three for Titus, and Borden and Crane kicking one. Also, should mention that uh, Percy Beam's best on ground for the second year in a row in a grand final. Yeah. So other best players for Melbourne were Baggett, Smith, Lafontaine, Mueller, and Ball. So all the big names. Yeah, the names that we've come to know and love. And wasn't that coaching very reminiscent of Jock McHale? Yeah. Well, this is it. These are the two guys who are known for doing this. You know, they, they are able to change the play. They watch what other teams are doing and they, but if they you make look decisions. From that first semi-final to this game, the way he structured things and he knew, you know, this is the important play. We've got to stop Dyer. That's it. So just the importance of coaches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, yeah, the importance of uh, a tactics. coach who can change his tactics. Yeah, and that's just yeah, such a great it's example. Still the, still the way it absolutely. works. Absolutely. We don't, probably don't see it as much these days, no. like the drastic grand final day change. No. No, absolutely not. But it's usually, you know, you see a new coaching system come into place. The next year, it's not as effective because no, everyone's planned for it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, interesting. Um, that wasn't the final game for Melbourne, though. They played another game the week after. Excuse me? Yeah. Um, they played in the Fags for Fighters charity Great, match. Great, love it. Which was organised at Melbourne Park on October 13 to raise money for the war. Again. Yeah, get some get some ciggies to the boys. Yep, so Melbourne had four changes from their grand final side, so a pretty uh, strong side, but yep. probably not taking this seriously. seriously. Um, playing a combined bookmakers Ascot Vale Hotel team, which included players such as Harry Collier, Des Fothergill, Albert Collier, Jack Regan... Norm Ware, Herbie Matthews, Jack Dyer, Jack Simmons, Laurie Nash, Ted Freyer, uh, Charlie Cameron. Excuse what Hang on, what is this team? So this is like a combined, like it's kind of Melbourne versus the best, best of, of the, the rest. rest. Yeah. Okay, okay. Plus a few VFA players thrown in when there you, as well. Because when you were explaining the name of the team, I thought it was kind of like that, um, like the taxi, you know, you know how they had that, the ambulance. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but it's not that. It's just they've decided that that's the best of the rest. Yeah. And pray tell what happened in this game, Timothy? Um, the bookmakers won. <laughs> that Thirteen goals, fourteen ninety-two to Melbourne nine nine sixty-three. I mean, that's I. I when you I look at those names, yeah, that's ridiculous. It's like saying any yeah any team these days play the best of the rest of the AFL. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I like I like the style. Mm. I, I think that's. I'd love to see that again. 
like the premiership team playing the best of everyone else. Yeah. Be interesting. And see what happened. Because I think actually nowadays the premiership team would probably win because no. they're just a team. No. You don't think so? Well, if they were taking it seriously, no. Yeah, if they were taking it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. <laughs> well, there we go. So, some retirement snows. Players we're no longer going to see. Mm. We've got Len Thomas from South Melbourne, Hawthorne and North Melbourne. 209 games and part of the, the uh, Bloods 1933 Premiership. Mm-hmm. Keith Forbes from Essendon, North Melbourne and Fitzroy. 187 games, runner-up in one of the Brownlows. Mm-hmm. Harry Collier. Mm. 253 yeah. games, six flags from nine grand finals. Yeah, wow. And very poorly treated by Collingwood in this season, I must say. Mm-hmm. Brighton Diggins, South Melbourne and Carlton, 96 games, two flags. One with South, one with Carlton mm-hmm. as captain coach. Chicken Smallhorn from Fitzroy, yes. 150 games, one Brownlow. <sighs> Purse Bentley, 263 games, two flags. He is currently the uh, longest serving Richmond captain with 168 games. Wow. Do you know who's second on that list? Um, is it someone recent? Trent Cotchin. There you go. On 154. So this season, assuming we go ahead, he should be breaking that against GWS in round 15. Cool. He will, he will become Richmond's longest-serving captain. That's exciting. Let's look out for that. Uh, Reg Hickey with Geelong, 245 games, two flags, one in 31, one in 37. Mm-hmm. Ron Barassi Senior, mm. 58 games, one flag. Uh, Ray Martin, 159 games with Richmond, two flags. Leo Murphy with Hawthorne, 132 games. And Sal Clark at uh, Carlton and Kilda, 170 games. And Jim Park with Carlton, 128 games and one flag. Um, two other things we need to say goodbye to, Moz. Please. Carayo Oval. <gasps> goodbye, Carayo. Uh, Geelong played 371 games there for 241 wins, six draws and 124 losses, a winning record of 65.77%. And a sad one, Cocky Ma. Passing away no. on November 28th. The white cockatoo that was the feature of Carlton home games for more than 30 years died at the ripe old age of 43. Yeah, that's pretty cool, but also sad. All right, Kazman, you've just arrived. Just in time because we are just up to your section. Here are some names for you. I've got Jock McCorkill. I've got Dudley Bragg, Harry Dolphin. Uh, oh, any relation to Bill? I don't know. Oh, well, Shadrack. Shadrach James and the Gordon good. Whopper Lane, Charlie Challenger, and Ivor McIver. <laughs> I love Whopper's nickname. Whopper. <laughs> and uh, what was the other funny one back there? Uh, it was close to the start. Jock McCorkill. What do you reckon, people? Mm, I know, I know a Corkill. Jock McCorkill. Dudley Bragg. That's what I thought was good. That, is that your number one? No, I'll go with Whopper. Whopper. Yeah. Harold, uh, sorry, Gordon Whopper Lane. Yeah, Gordon, nice and plain. That's why it got called Whopper. Yeah, okay. I had to crazy it up a bit. And we've been watching a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine. Gordon, express coming through. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, welcome, really Cass. Happened, so. yep. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. All right um, so that, that brings was... us to the end of this episode. Let's just do a few uh, roundups, Moz. Okay. Oh, yep. Smoz. Okay. Premier. Uh, Melbourne Dimons. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brownlow medalist. Sus. Sus. Des, Desmond Fothergill and Herbert Matthews. Correct. Leading goal kicker was Jack Titus with 92 in the season mm. and 100, including finals. Cool. Wooden spoon. Uh, that was poor old North Melbourne. With their eighth wooden spoon. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, highest score was Melbourne again with that 26 goals, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kaz has just given us the best name. So one thing we forgot to do in the last episode was the premiership tallies. Ah, oh, yes. So as of 1940, we have Collingwood with 11, Fitzroy with 7, Carlton 6, Essendon 6, Melbourne 4. Woohoo! Richmond 4, Geelong 3, South Melbourne 3. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the end of another Melbourne-based Premiership episode. Yes. Join us again next season for another Melbourne-based Premiership episode. <laughs> Hopefully we have the whole team back. Yeah, I hope we have the whole Demons gang Hopefully, to yeah. truly celebrate. Hopefully the uh, AFL season goes ahead as well. Yes, well, fingers and toes. Well, i have to work that out next time. Mm. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> www.kicktokickpodcast.com You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.